Well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for faithfully coming. Uh, I know it is the middle of the summer, and there are a hundred reasons that you could have found to have been somewhere else or to have just slept in, uh, but you chose to come and gather with God's people to worship corporately, to sing His praises, and to hear from His Word, and I'm thankful that you did. I'm thankful to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, as we often call it. Um, We are going to see as we're continuing through 1 Corinthians and really starting to wind down our time in 1 Corinthians as the summer draws to a close soon. We're going to look in these last few weeks in 1 Corinthians at some texts that are probably somewhat familiar to you, some that you may have memorized if you uh, went to vacation Bible school as a child or did Bible drills, some that you may have heard many times. But I think some of them will see possibly that we have heard, but maybe not specifically in the context that we'll see them. Just like today's text, if you have heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13 ten times, then probably at least five of those have been at a wedding, or at a vow renewal, uh, or somebody posting it during uh, an anniversary celebration. So we see that sort of thing a lot. And and I'm not saying that it's wrong for us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, or for it to be read at a wedding, because it is showing us what true love looks like. But I do want you to see it this morning... I'll ask you to do this for me if you would. Look at this text. Listen this morning kind of with a blank slate. Okay? Don't look at it. Don't listen to it in the, in the way that you've heard it. Think about a husband and a wife. Listen to it without any preconceived notions of what the text is talking about and just let the text inform us of what it's trying to teach us. So last week, just to kind of help remind us, because a lot of things have gone on since last week. Last week, we looked at the idea of spiritual gifts. We saw that that spiritual gifts are something that are given to the church. They're given to individual members in order to build up the church. And so we belabored that point last week, I think, and made sure that it was very abundantly clear. We all have spiritual gifts, but they're not given for our own uh, credit. They're not given so that we will be built up. They're not given for us to use in business ventures outside the church. They're given to us so that we could build up one another, so that the body could have everything that it needs. And then Paul continued that in the rest of 1 Corinthians 12 and gave the the picture of the church being like a body, right? Every part has a function that's important. Every part of the body does something that is needed for the body. They're all different, right? We have different roles and different giftings and different abilities, but we're all needed. And then he continues with that same train of thought, talking about spiritual gifts, talking about how the church relates to one another in chapter 13. So that's really the background of this text. It's not a husband and wife. It is a church. The way that church members relate to one another, the way that church members use their spiritual gifts to build up the body. So three things that we're going to see this morning. First, we're going to see that love is necessary. Second thing, we're going to see that love is action. And the third thing, we're going to see that love is eternal. So love is necessary, love is action, love is eternal. So let's look at this text and we'll see this first point, that love is necessary. 
In 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So, so here, Paul is giving these different scenarios, right? Different. This might be talking about you. This might be talking about somebody else that you know. Uh, but, but people in the church could have these different gifts. He's, he's referring here to different spiritual gifts that people might have, right? If I speak in tongues, amazing tongues, if I can prophesy or preach and explain and teach the things of God to His people beautifully and wonderfully, if I have faith that can move mountains, if I'm, if I'm so generous that I would give away everything that I have, if I give my body as a martyr, but if I do these things separated from love, if I do these things and I don't have love in using these things, then I am nothing. You see, Paul is continuing to make it clear that, that spiritual gifts are to build up one another, right? They're not for ourselves. They're not just for our own good. They're for the good of the body. And he carries that thought out just a little bit more. He's extrapolating this further and saying, since these are for the body, they should be used out of love for one another. When I am teaching, I should not be standing here preaching the word so that you will say, oh, look how good of a teacher Brother Zach is. No, I should be teaching the word because I love you and I desire that you will understand God's word. Right? Whenever you're serving in the church whenever you're being hospitable to others, whenever you're giving, whatever, you're, whatever it is that you're doing, we're not doing it with selfish motives. We're not doing it, and you could, we could make a whole list, a long list of wrong motives for doing seemingly good things, right? People do seemingly good things just, just so that they'll get rich, just so they'll get elected to offices, just so that people will think that they're more important, just to make themselves feel better about themselves. Right? You can go on and on about all the ways that you could misuse these gifts. But what Paul focuses on here is not all the ways that you could misuse them, but on the way that you can use them correctly. And the way that you should use whatever your spiritual gift is, brothers and sisters, is out of love. Out of love. Because if not, then he gives you this list of things that, that's just basically useless things. Now, did y'all know that I can play the piano? Raise your hand if you knew that I can play the piano. I'm going to put my hand down. As well. So here's the thing. I could go over here and I could play this piano. Just like any of the toddlers in the extended session room could come and play this piano. Now, I can't read music. I don't know by looking at the key exactly which key that is, but I can beat and whoop on that thing, and it'll make some music. <laughs> and Paul uses an analogy similar here. He says that, that if you were just a banging gong, right, an instrument played incorrectly still makes noise, but it's useless noise. And he says a Christian using a spiritual gift 
without love is useless. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. Spiritually speaking, when we do, when we use the gifts God has given us, but we're misappropriating those gifts, Paul says it's useless. And spiritually speaking, it is. It's not likely to benefit the body because we're doing it in some selfish way. It's not going to be counted to us as righteousness. And it's not going to bring glory to God when we do seemingly good things for sinful reasons. So as Paul says here in his terms, at the end of verse 1 he says, If I'm using these things without love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. At the end of verse 2, If I'm doing these things without love, I am nothing. And if I'm doing these things without love, then verse 3, I gain nothing. So point one, love is necessary to use spiritual gifts properly. We have to recognize that. When we are using our spiritual gifts, when we are serving the body, when we are building up the body, we must be doing it as an act of love, out of love from a heart. So I read an interesting question this week whenever I was studying this text. Somebody asked the question, whenever it says here that these things must be done out of love, is that referring to love for God or love for our brothers and sisters? And the reason I think that's an interesting question is, is last weekend, in the first part of this week, our second through sixth graders went to M4 camp, and they memorized this text as part of their time there. And he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? This, this idea that the first commandment, that, that's the most important commandment that Christ gives, is that we love God, and the second that's like it is that we love our neighbor. And then in 1 John chapter 4, a little bit past what Brother Philip read earlier, it says in verse 19, we love because He first loved us. So this is the type of love. I don't think we can separate whether it's love for God or love for our brothers and sisters. And this is why, because brothers, our love for each other comes from God's love. Right? When we experience God's love, we then have that love overflow to God and to our brothers and sisters. That's the teaching of Scripture, right? Whenever we are regenerate and new, when we are born again, when we are Christians, we love God and we love each other. And so if you ask me, Brother Zach, this, this love that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, is it love for God or is it love for other people? I would say that it is love for people that is motivated by our love for God. We love each other because we love God, and He's called us to love each other. And so the second thing I want to see, right, we see there love is necessary, but I also want you to see that love is action. And I know that sounds odd. I'm not the best at making real catchy points. I wanted to make it love is something. Love is action. What do I mean? Well, look with me at verse 4, and I think you'll understand it. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
and does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You see here, Paul gives us a bunch of verbs. He gives us a bunch of action words. He's saying that love will compel us to do these things. Not just for our spouse, not just for our children, not just for our parents. Remember, this is in the context of a local church. So this, this what we read in verses 4 through 7, that's what our Sunday school classes should look like. That's what our church-wide fellowships should look like. That's what our time together in corporate worship should look like. That's what our committee meetings and business meetings should look like. This is how we should interact with one another. Have any of y'all ever had one of those friends? The kind of friend that will hide behind the door when you're walking in and then jump out to scare you. Any of y'all have any friends like that? Friends like that? What's something that you often do when somebody jumps out and scares you and they really scare you? Okay, you faint. If you're a goat, often you faint. Um, do you scream? Some of y'all scream? Some of y'all jump? Some of y'all jumpers, right? Sometimes we jump, sometimes scream. Sometimes we jump and scream. But it's not something that you choose to do, is it? It's, it's an innate reaction. It's a reflex. You're scared, you scream. You're scared, you jump. Something runs out in the road, Amanda goes, <gasps> scares me to death. I have no idea. It's a squirrel. I thought it was a human. We have these reflexes, and you see what we understand here, what I understand Paul to be saying here, when we couple this with, with what, what Brother Philip read from 1 first, uh, first John earlier, this idea that, that when we experience God's love, that we will also love each other in that way. What we see here is that when we have experienced God's love, when we are in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, love for each other will be an innate reaction. It will be a reflex. This will be our default setting. We don't have to conjure up and make ourselves love each other. We don't have to work hard to make ourselves to be patient or kind with each other, to not be arrogant with one another, to not be irritable or resentful with one another. No, this is how we will be at our base level. This is what God makes us into, the type of people that treat one another this way. So I want to read this list again, and I want you to listen to it while thinking this. Is this how I treat my brothers and sisters in this room? Christians that you work with, is this how you treat them? And if not, then maybe we're understanding this morning that there are some things that we need to do differently. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Do you have these sort of reactions toward other Christians? I believe that we see in the Scripture that if we truly love God, that we will. Now, I believe it's part of our sanctification process, right? That not the moment that you are saved that you will do these things perfectly, but we will do them better and better over time. 
The more we get to know God, the more we are in relationship with Him, the more that we experience His love, the more that these things will overflow to other people. But I think that we'll start to do these sort of things. As the King James Version puts it, we will suffer long with one another. That we will be kind and patient with each other. That we won't have rivalries among us and other Christians. That we wouldn't look at other people in this church or other people that are part of other churches and hope to see them fail so that we could feel better about ourselves. We see that sort of thing outside of the church. We see that sort of thing sometimes jokingly, sometimes not, between Mississippi State and Ole Miss fans, right? You hope the other school doesn't do well. You don't want them. Brothers and sisters, shame that we would ever have those sort of feelings towards other Christians. Hoping that they don't get something that we wanted, because if we can't have it, we don't want them to have it. Fighting, because we want our preferences. We want church meetings to be at our chosen time, or we want our style of music, or we want the air conditioner set on this, or we want that, or we want that we would fight with one another. No, that's not what we see in the Scriptures. It says love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. We don't get excited when we see other Christians fall. It says, no, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this, is this what our life looks like with other Christians? Or do we just come here, go to Sunday school, come in here and sing a few songs, hear Scripture, and leave, and never interact with one another in anything that looks like this? I pray that that's not true of us. You know, as I look at this idea of overlooking faults of those that we love, it's one that really stands out to me. You know, my mom often watches the, the Facebook live feed on Sunday mornings, and a lot of times she'll send me a message or, or give me a call afterward and say, oh, that was such a good sermon, and I appreciate that about mom. But you know, I, I, there's a part of me that kind of feels like I need to take that that compliment with a little bit of a grain of salt. Why? Because my mom doesn't know good preaching? No, that's not it. But because my mom, because of her love for me, she might be willing to overlook a couple of small mistakes or some really, really big mistakes and still think that her son preached a really good sermon. Don't you think? That's what we should look like with one another. Not getting mad every time somebody does a little thing that irritates us but loving each other so much that we overlook the little things, that sometimes we overlook the big things because we love each other that deeply. Point two, true love leads to loving actions towards one another. When we have true love, God's love, when we experience that love, it overflows back to God and to one another, and it leads to action. You can't, we can't say that we love each other and not have loving action towards one another. Not in the biblical sense we can't. And the perfect example of this is seen from God. Right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? God loves us so much that it moved Him to action. He didn't say, man, I love them and I hate that they're going to hell forever. He said, I love them and I'm so merciful and gracious towards them that I'm going to do something about their predicament. And he sent his own son 
to die in our place. It's the only reason that any of us are here rejoicing this morning is because God sent Christ to die in our place. But He did because He loves us. For God so loved the world that He did that. When we so love each other, it will show up in our actions. All right, the last thing, love is eternal. What do I mean by that? Well, point three is simple. I'll give you the point, and then we'll flesh it out. Point three, love never ends. It's just another way of saying love is eternal. But look with me in the text, verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So he's telling us that there are a lot of things that aren't going to be eternal, right? Right now, we can, we, you may want to be the teacher or the preacher, right? You may want to be the one that has the most recognizable and, and seemingly important gifts in the church, the ones that do the most public things that are noticed by the most. But, but Paul says here, you know what? One day those gifts will be gone because one day we won't need preachers anymore. One day we won't need teachers anymore. One day there won't be any need for miraculous gifts of healing anymore. Why? Because right now we understand some things. But he says one day we're going to understand everything. Right now we look at all the things around us very similar to the way that children look at the world. They look at the world and they think about what do I want? What do I want? It's the reason that they make Christmas lists all year long. Because what we think about is, what do I want? And sometimes we do the same thing. We go around every day thinking about what we want and desiring our way. But one day we'll give that up. One day we'll never think selfishly ever again. Praise the Lord. Why? Because verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He's giving this idea, for us probably a little more fitting than their idea of a mirror then, is the idea of whenever you look at a picture of somebody, you can see some things about them, can't you? But even a beautiful, perfect picture of somebody doesn't hold a candle to actually meeting and sitting down and being face-to-face -face with that person. And that is the truth that we have about God. We see some things about God. We learn some things about God in the Scripture. We understand part and part the way that God loves us. But one day, we're going to know all the things about God. We're going to see Him face-to-face. -face. We're going to know His love in a greater way than we understand it now. When Christ returns... Or when we die to go and be with Him, brothers and sisters, all of these other things are going to pass away. No need for preachers, no need for teachers, no need for healing, no need for tongues, no need for service in that way, no need for giving and contributions. There's going to be no need for selfishness. There's going to be no need for anybody to help us learn anything because we're going to know absolutely 
all things. We're going to know love perfectly, and we're going to be loved perfectly. And it's going to last forever and ever and ever. Isn't that good to hear? It's good for my heart. And then even in verse 13, in the verse that we know well, in the context, we see what he's saying. He says, now, even of these great things of the faith, faith, hope, and love, even of these three, the greatest of these is love. Why? Because one day, faith will be no more. Because faith will become what? Sight, right? Our faith will become sight. We won't have to have faith that Christ is real because we will see Him. We won't have to have faith that heaven is real and eternity is real because we will be there. One day hope, we won't have any more need for hope because everything that we could ever hope for will be reality when we're in heaven with Christ. But love, love will never pass away. God will always love us and will always love Him. We'll always love one another and we'll always be loved by one another. So even of these great things, the greatest of these is love. And then Paul begins the next chapter by saying, pursue love. Brothers and sisters, I would ask you this question today. I would start by asking this question. Do you know the love of God through Christ Jesus? Have you experienced that type of love? Real, true love. The Bible tells us that God is love. God loves perfectly. God is how we learn to love. God is how we learn what love really is. Have you ever experienced that sort of love? A love that will never dim, a love that will never end. No matter how much your mama loves you, no matter how much your daddy loves you, no matter how much your spouse loves you, no matter how much your children love you, they do not love you the way that God loves you. God is able to love in a perfect, untainted, unselfish, unsinful way that none of us can. Have you ever experienced that kind of love? A love that is so deep that, it was com- that God was compelled to give His Son in order to redeem undeserving sinners like us. If you haven't, I invite you this morning, I would love to have a conversation with you about this. Of all the things that we could ever talk about, this is chief of them, that I could talk to you about how much God loves you and what it means for you to personally experience that love. If you've never understood that, then please come and let me know. Let's set up a time when we can meet. But if you have experienced that love and you know what that love is really like, let me ask you this. Is that kind of love overflowing from you to other people? Are you loving other Christians with that kind of love? Kind of love that forgives and is long-suffering and patient? Type of love that overlooks faults and mistakes? Are you loving people that way? Because if not, we need to. It's what we've been called to. It's part of our sanctification process is that God is growing us and helping us to be able to love each other more fully. First John is clear. If we are God's children, we will love one another. There are no ands, ifs, or buts there. So if you are God's child, I pray that you are seeking and working hard to love one another with this innate reflexive love that comes from our heart. But I also ask you this morning, do you spend much time ever thinking about the day that we will love each other perfectly? There's a new song that came out recently, and I shared it on Facebook. I hope we'll be able to share it on Sunday morning sometime soon. But it's pointing us to the fact that we're almost home. 
that's pointing us to heaven. As I listened to it, I was just reminded that sometimes I don't spend enough time thinking about that day when Christ returns and we enter into glory and we're not selfish anymore and we will love each other perfectly and we'll know all things and we'll fully understand the type of love that God has for us. I think if we understood it more fully that we'd be more compelled to love each other this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning and we do want to have a time of response. And I don't know how the Lord's calling you to respond. Maybe He's calling you to faith and you need to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. You need to experience this love for the first time, the love of God. Maybe He's calling you to be more loving toward one another, to quit thinking about yourself so much. Maybe He's calling you to be the type of person that receives service and love from others better. I'm not sure. Maybe He's just calling you to be thankful that He's made this available to us. But whatever the Lord is calling you to do, I want you to use this time. We're going to sing. As we sing, you can pray where you are. You can come, and I will pray with you. If you have an announcement you need to make to the church, come and let me know. We'd love for you to have the opportunity to do that. But you respond as the Lord calls you to, as Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation. Jesus, I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I If you would be seated for just a moment, we have a